Well, we're going to talk today about something I've wanted to do for several years. Um, just have never been able to work it in the sequence of uh, what I felt the Lord's dropping on my heart. We're talking about the parable of the sower today. If you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 13, Matthew 13, or if you go to the uh, Version app and click on events, you can find all the information there. Everything's been preloaded for you. Okay, we're going to talk today about the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. You know, at this time of year, you know, a lot of people are putting seed in the ground and... Uh, you know, hopefully they're going to get a harvest. That's what they're believing for. That's why they do it. And that's why we sow what we sow. Now, have you ever noticed, as you maybe drove to church here today, this field out here, it's really sprouting up corn. And that always amazed me as a kid. I was raised on a farm. I did a lot of, dad never let me plant or, or cultivate for the most part. I guess didn't trust me, whatever. That's fine. I, I got over it. But uh, anyway, you know, I did disc a lot. I did some plowing, uh, did some field cultivating, things like that. But, uh, you know, it always amazed me just how you would throw all that money in the ground, hoping that something would come up. Amen. And then when it comes up, you see all those little, you know, I know they're not perfect, but, you know, they're just almost just perfectly apart from each other. And, they, and when corn starts to row out, you can just see it. And then as it grows through the year, it just, it's just amazing. Row upon row of corn, you know, has been planted. And, and, but what gets me sometimes is you ever notice that some things that we plant just don't grow. You know, I've tried to grow some things. You know, one time I got a bright idea, I was going to grow my own tomato plants, and I put them in, I think I put them in a bad spot because they all died. Watered them, miracle growed them. Don't know what happened, they just died. Nothing. You know, that's why I go to the store, I guess, you know, and get that. But a farmer, I want to give you a quote that I read. In 1970, a farmer fed about 73 people, because farmers are very savvy people. So in the 70s, they fed about 73 people. Today, one farmer feeds 155 people. So we need to be thankful, number one, for farmers, amen? You know, and, uh, you know, they really do a great job for us. And as we look at that, I know that sometimes environmentalists get mad at farmers for some of the things they do, but really the, the greatest environmentalist there is is a farmer because they really take care of their dirt because it's only natural that they would take care of something that produces a harvest for them. And it's important that we understand as we look at the parable of the sower, it's really the parable of the soil conditions, which is also talking about the conditions of our heart. Now this, this, this subject here is a foundational message. It's something that we, if we could learn to assimilate this revelation the next few uh, uh, times that we're together and understanding the parable of the sower, God's going to give us great revelation. This is, the, this is a foundational passage. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 to 9, I'm going to read the passage. And it says, And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered and died away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to ear, let him hear. Let's pray. 
Father God, we thank you so much for your opportunity you've given us to live in these last days. Lord, right now, I don't want to yield to that gift you've given me. I use it for your glory. Lord, just stir that gift up in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation. We bind up Satan from trying to come into our lives to try to steal uh, the word out of our hearts, and Lord, to distract our minds today. Lord, help us stay focused on what you want us to receive. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. As I mentioned, this is a foundational uh, passage of Scripture. Uh, Jesus uh, thought it was very important that we, as followers of him, uh, understand what it is, because really, it's a, it's a, as well as a foundational scripture, it's a, fa- it's a springboard into revelation knowledge in the kingdom of God. And being able to find out what it is that God's wanting to say to us is very important. You know, it's the key to the abundant life, and that's something that we need to understand. Jesus didn't save us just so we don't have to go to hell. But he saved us so that we could live an abundant life. We could live a victorious life. To be able to walk in the blessings that he has for us. But many people think, wow, I just don't have to go to hell. That's good enough. If that's all you want, that's fine. But I believe that God has given us so much more. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, he pointed out the fact that Jesus said that if we don't understand this parable, we will not be able to understand all the parables. So evidently, this parable is the key to us being able to unravel or to unlock the revelation that he wants to impart to us. And I think as we do that now, an explanation of this parabolic teaching is found in verse 10 down to 17. We're going to read that right now, and then we're going to start with that. It says, And the disciples said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And he will have abundance, but who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand, and you will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes, otherwise they would see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So here we see the idea of what Jesus is trying to portray to his people, what he wants you and I to really connect with on how we can start to grow in the kingdom of God. And the first point I want to look at right now is, can you hear me now? There's a lot of people that listen but do not hear. And they look, but they do not see. And it's important that we do not waste time or waste our life. I remember when I first dabbled in Christianity. You know, I knew enough that I needed to change my life because I was, you know, I was, you know, going to not end up in a good place. But yet I wasn't really saved yet. And when I sat down and tried to read the Bible, it was very confusing to me. But I wasn't born again. And that made a big difference. And Jesus explains it to us now, why he spoke in parables. Why was he wanting to, to speak kind of in code? 
You know, a lot of people have code, right? Remember those kids in high school, they spoke pig Latin, and they thought they were being code, but you could understand everything they said, a lot of it, you know? But Jesus spoke in a code that only those who had eyes to see and ears to hear could really connect with what he was trying to say to them. Now, a parable does two things. It hides or it brings clarity on a certain subject. all depends on where you fall in, in line with whatever's being said. Either you're in the group or you're outside the group. Now, now for, a, for a hearer, what it does is that natural story brings a deeper meaning to a certain subject or in it, and enriches a spiritual truth. And that's why Jesus spoke in parables. And as you understand, as, as, as we look at the parable of the sower, the idea of putting seed in and, and watching that seed come up and grow and how some of it produces, you know, maybe a little and some produces a lot. You know, we live in a land that's a lot, right? You know, we want a lot. So we want to learn how to receive a lot. And to do that, we have to understand this passage here. Now, it also talks about the idea of how the mysteries, the hidden things in the kingdom, are going to be revealed. Now, mysteries are God's spiritual secrets. Does God keep secrets? Yes, He does. You know, God tells us not to cast our pearls among the swine, doesn't He? You know, not everything everybody is ready for. Have you ever tried to talk to an unsaved person about spiritual things? And they just did not connect. Didn't understand one thing you were saying, but yet you could see it clearly. It was all relevant to you as this part of your life. But when you tried to explain it, there was just no connection there. And it was kind of frustrating. Because you couldn't really communicate. You wasn't on the same, same wavelength, shall we say. And, and that's what it's like for somebody who's not saved or an unbeliever. Because somebody who can't really hear with their spiritual ears, you know, them spiritual truths have been hidden. And somebody said, well, that ain't fair. You know, I thought God wanted everybody saved. He does. But we're going to go into that a little bit and explain maybe why that happens. Because, you know, we all have physical ears, but we all don't really have spiritual ears. See, we are born separated from God, spiritually dead, shall we say. That's why Jesus says you must be born again. You must have that new life and that new life where you get that connection back with God. Now, it also talks about, as we go into this, I just want to, to share that when I first started out trying to understand the Bible before I really got saved, I knew I had to change my life. So I, I went and did the right thing. I went and bought a Bible. But yet I didn't understand it. To me, like that, that saying, it's Greek to me. You know what I mean? Because it was Koine Greek. It was Greek, but I had the English version. But yet it was Greek to me. You know, it amazed me as I read it, there were some things that were in, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that they all told the same story sometimes. I said, wow, this is a little bit redundant, you know. But I didn't know that was called the Synoptic Gospels, where each of the writers would share a story that Jesus had told them or imparted truth to them, but they told it from maybe a little different angle, so we could get a better revelation of it. You know, but I didn't know that starting out, because I had no clue, I wasn't saved yet. Now, the problem is that it says here, and this is the key, and this is a revelation I want us to understand as we're starting out with this series. It talks about a dull heart. A dull heart. Now, this is the root problem of why 
some hear and some do not hear. Now, dull doesn't mean boring here per se, but it's talking about thick or lacking interest or excitement is what the word dull means. How excited are we about things? Now, it talks here about a dull heart, and I just want to interject that Proverbs tells us to guard our heart. You've got to guard your heart, because from it flow the issues of life. That's why it's so important that you and I are wise stewards of everything that God's given us and the life that God's given us. And the idea that the heart, because the holy seed of God, when it comes into our life, it's got to, it has to lodge somewhere. And if it lodges in the right spot, it's going to start to produce fruit in our life. And that's the goal, isn't it? We want to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. But what happens along the way, if, we don't, if we're not excited about it, what amazes me? See, when I first got saved, I was a word person. I mean, I was into the word. I mean, the singing, yeah. Just give me the word. Come on, get the preaching. Let's go. You know, I want to know the information. I want my life changed. Well, I was missing out on part of the blessings of God. And as I, got, as I, as I started to learn a little bit more, I, I was able to see the importance of worship and how, how that portrays in our life and it opens us up to really receive from the kingdom of God. But, you know, I, I really, it, it amazes me, though, the amount of believers that don't really get excited about the word. You know, because the word of God is the most important thing because that's what really comes in and it starts to change our life. Because if we don't guard our heart, though, with that, the word goes in and it's not going to really produce the fruit that we want. We're going to look at one of the problems with that today. So if our heart is dull, if we're not excited about God's word, then that gets us in trouble. Now, the good news is Jesus wants to keep that door open. He wants us to be able to open up, to be able to receive the truth of really what he's talking about. And he's always wanting to give us a new heart. You know, Ezekiel talks about that new heart. He'll take that heart of stone, because we all have a hardened heart sometimes starting out. And we're separated from God. But he wants to give us that heart of flesh. He wants us to be able to have that so we can be able to receive everything that the kingdom of God has for us. Now, so the opposite of a dull heart, if that's what we're wanting, is the fact that we need to be excited. We need to be excited about God's word. Now, why should we be excited about God's word? Because when I started out, you know, a lot of people gave me some misinformation that they told me God's word told you what you can't do. Have you ever had that? All they told you was you can't do this and you can't do that. And, oh, man, don't ever let them see you doing that. Right? That's not the good news, is it? You know, that's the stuff that, you know, religion tries to tell you. But see, once I started to read the Bible for myself, and I started to find out, and I got tapped into a church that believes the good things, amen, the good things that God wants to do in our life, then I started to see that, well, God's not really against me anymore. God's for me. God loves me. And he wants to impart these truths to me. And I started to get that good news in my life. And it, it started to change my life. And as I, as I was excited about the word, the word started to work. Because I wanted the word. Now I remember I did a lot of street evangelism and things like this. And I would witness to different people, all kinds of people. different, Come from different, you know, shall we say, avenues of life. Rich, poor, drug addicts, snobbish people. Um... All kinds of people tell them about Jesus. 
You know, because I, I found out about Jesus and I want, I want to tell everybody. I remember ministering to some and, you know, and they said they would take their Bible down and they'd kiss it once a week. Praise God. You know, that, that was their persuasion. You know, they didn't, they didn't read it because they weren't supposed to read it. They said supposed to listen to the guy in charge, if you know what I'm saying. You know, and he'll tell you what to do. But they would kiss it. They'd dust it off every now and then. But yet they couldn't grow. See, the Word of God, it, it needs to be more than that. We need to be excited about being able to receive that Word implanted. Do we come expecting to hear God's Word? See, there's a lot of people that go to church out of tradition. Well, bless God, i got to know. Go, because if I don't go, they'll know I didn't go. And then they'll be calling me. And the pastor will be bugging me, wondering where I'm at. You know, things like that. You know, but we need to come expecting. A farmer, when he sows the seed, he expects it to grow. My dad put thousands of dollars. I mean, I seen him write a check to the guy he bought the seed from. Thousands of dollars for that seed. Then he took it out and he threw it in the ground. But he knew. He knew that if he planted it in the right spot and gave it the right stuff, the nourishment that it needed... A little bit of anhydrous here and a couple other things there, plow down and all that. That thing was going to make him some money. A lot of money. Because it was, he was expecting it to grow. And that's what we need to expect in God's word. So if we're excited about it and hungry for it, because what it says here, you know, a lot of people think, well, you know, Elisha, remember him? He had the double anointing from God. First you had Elijah, he did some miracles. I don't know about you, but I still want to call down fire. I ain't going to lie to you. I still want to call down fire. You know, and burn up the, you know, the bad deals. Anyhow, I shouldn't go into that right now. But yet it said they long to know what we know. The prophets of old, the ones who were mouthpieces for the kingdom of God, long to know just what your basic everyday Christian knows today. So that's how important it is, that connection. Because that new life when Jesus came and he gave us that on how we can do it. A Bible, you know, it talks about us being blessed or fortunate. You know, if Christians would see themselves blessed or fortunate, it would change their way. You know, a lot of times we look at what we don't have. If you spend your whole life looking at what you don't have, you're never going to be thankful for what you do have. And you need to see that. And then as you do it, it's going to start to grow and it's going to start to manifest in your life and you're going to get to the, the place that you need to be. Now, I don't want to offend nobody here, but this is a spiritual truth that I've got. I've been, a, I've been serving the Lord for about 30 years now. And God showed me some things along the way. I paid attention. You know, I'm not the brightest one, but I have paid attention. If you pay attention, you'll learn things, right? You know, a lot of people are oblivious to life around them. You know, I've watched people get lost anywhere. Mainly because they didn't watch where they're going. But if you pay attention, you pick up some things. I can almost trace the level of victory in a person's life and how they walk is based on the priority they place on God's word in their life. And I can almost guarantee that with a fullback money guarantee to you. Your level of victory in your life can be traced back to the level of priority you place in God's word in your life. Is it the absolute authority? Come on, I'm preaching a lot better than you're letting on. 
This is good stuff, Maynard. I'll tell you what. If you get this in your heart and you start to grow, you'll be excited and you'll never be the same. Never be the same. How you can connect with God. It's there. It's a power that we can tap into. But it's based on the level of priority we put in God's Word. You know, how much do we, how much, is it the final authority in your life? If God's Word says this, but our president says this, which one do you believe more? Or if the Congress or the the Supreme Court. See, God's Word says what it says. Well, people say, well, the Bible says a lot of things. Okay. Let's just throw out the confusing stuff. Let's just do the stuff that's in black and white. Amen? Let's just agree on that. And if we did that, we'd be walking in a better place. We'd be happier. Because we find happiness when we feel secure. But we're an insecure nation. Because the Bible talks about everybody does what's right in their own eyes. We were never meant to be a God. We were meant to follow a God. And that God gave us His Word. So step one is to get saved. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. Born again. Confirmed or whatever. Whatever word you want it converted. Whatever word works for you. But you've received a new life. And then don't stop there. The next step is to start to walk in victory. Start to walk in that victory. Don't be afraid of the devil because the greater one lives inside of us. And we can start to walk in that if we understand what the Word says. Because the Word will tell us right from wrong. And it's a law of abundance that talks here in this passage. It says, those who have more shall be given to them. Some may say, well, that ain't fair. They already have some. Why should they get more? Because they have good soil. If you were a smart farmer, would you put your seed in the black dirt? Or would you put your seed out on the parking lot? Think about it. Where would you want to invest at? Here you spend maybe $500 on seed. Are you going to go put it in the black dirt? Or are you going to go drive along the highway and just throw it out the window? Huh? No. You're going to want to put it where you know it's going to grow. And see, that's what God wants to do. God wants to invest in you. He's looking to invest in you. You are the greatest investment God has. Because you are His representative here. And if we are willing to receive everything that He has for us and place a level of priority on it, He's going to start to use us and you're going to see the law of promotion start to, start to take off. Because once we get into the flow of God, it just keeps compounding on each other. You know, it talks about, you know, each spiritual truth starts to build on each other. And start, stuff starts to connect in the kingdom. And you start to understand the things that God has and, and what, what He wants for us to do and the plan that He has for your life. And you start to flow with that. And then you start to walk in a level of victory and success. Oh yes, there's going to be attacks from the devil. That's all part of it. But you're going to get attacked anyway. You know? That's just the way it is. But you're going to start to walk in a level to beat him back. And you're going to start to see that, that you don't have to be afraid anymore of what's coming down the pike. Because it's line upon line, precept upon precept. Now where did this idea come from a little bit? I think it comes from the Garden of Eden. 
the story there was that when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit and they partook and then all of a sudden they knew they were naked and they started to, to know and because they wanted to really be gods. That was a lie from the devil. Tell them that you can be a god. God's trying to keep stuff from you. He wants you to be a god. So what he did then, after they partook, you know, God chased them out of the Garden of Eden. Why? To be mean? No. He didn't want them to live in that state because if they would have ate from the tree of life, they would have lived forever in that fallen state. And see, that's why dull hearts cannot receive spiritual truth because God doesn't want us to have that spiritual nourishment, that spiritual life that keeps us going where we think we're okay. He wants us to know that we, we need to get right with him to be able to walk with him. And then as we start to walk with him and we get that spiritual truth down, then we start to be able to um, uh, walk in this victory because what's, what's going on down here, you know, it's frustrating for you if you're a Christian and you have somebody you love, maybe your parents, maybe a, a sibling, maybe a neighbor, a friend, and they just don't want to get saved. Just don't want to get saved. Of course, as we look back, when I was younger, you know, I didn't want to get saved totally. I mean, I always had a heart for God, but I mean, I wasn't there yet. You know, I still had stuff I thought I had to do. So we need to cut them some slack. But really, what's behind it? The Bible talks about the God of this world. That's Satan. Now, how did he become the God of this world? Because isn't God the God of the world, the God we know, Jesus Christ? Well, how that works is when Adam and Eve partook of the fruit, they rebelled against God because God gave them specific orders. And when we rebel against God, it opens the door for the devil. And so when man had dominion given to them by God, when man sinned, it opened the door and it gave that dominion over to the devil. And so Satan has become the God of this world. Meaning he, he, he can call the shots down here. He has limited authority under, the, under our Heavenly Father. But nevertheless, he's the God of this world. And he goes around and he tries to blind people so they can't see or receive the truth. So on one hand, you know, yeah, we can get disappointed or upset, but, you know, we need to know where the battle's at. The battle is to bind up the God of this world out of their lives and to fight the good fight of faith. See, the Bible talks about somebody that needs to stand in the gap. See, if you understand the parable of the sower and the parable of the soil conditions, you understand that you are now the solution. You are no longer the problem. Before, you were the problem. Right? If we're separated from God, we're part of the problem. But once we're a child of God, we're part of the answer. And that's what God wants you to see yourself as, a part of God's answer down here on earth as we reach out to a lost and dying world. Now, a fallen creation cannot understand the, the things of God, and we need to get to the place where we can be able to um, uh, differentiate that, and I think we've covered that a little bit, and we'll go back into it here in a minute maybe. But there are two spiritual truths that I want us to see today that is always at your disposal. Number one is that the sower is always sowing. He's always sowing. Says the sower was heading to the field. He didn't wait till he got to the field to start sowing, did he? He started sowing along the way because he was always optimistic, always hopeful that that seed was going to find 
a place to lodge so that it could start to grow. So that gives us hope. Because God's always wanting to sow the word into our hearts to be able to, to, be able to change us. And, and that the farmer shows, like I said, expecting to get a harvest. Now, one thing that we have to understand is the fact that seed doesn't really do any good in the bag, does it? As I mentioned, my dad, he could have, um, you know, them seed corn bags, I can't remember what they cost now, but they, back when I was a kid, they were a lot um, less expensive, but over a hundred some dollars a bag, shall we say. Now, he could have just kept that bag and threw it in the, the shed and just set on that bag, man. All right, I got, I got $100 here. Woo, look at me. Or he could take that out of the bag and put it in the ground and, ooh, I got me $1,000. 100-fold, you know, or whatever. Tenfold. See, the important thing is, is seeing that the Bible does you no good on your shelf. Because the Bible is filled with seeds. The holy seed it talks about. The word of God. The holy seed. So there's power. And I, 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 this is a revelation to me that nobody can ever talk me out of. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 talks about the word that is able to perform its heart, its work in you who believe. The Greek word's talking about energio, energy, divine energy. So the word has power on it. So if we can just get that seed planted in the good dirt, we're going to start to see something happen. But it's only for he who has ears to hear. Let him hear. It's for everybody. God wants everybody. The whosoever wills. But not everybody will. Not everybody is excited about the seed. About the word. About the, about the opportunity that it comes, because I do believe that the, that the word works. Now, we're going to uh, close up here in talking about the first part of the sower as he went to the field. The hard road. And what gets me is a bunch of rookies say it's a hard road to hoe. That's not right, is it? It's a hard road to hoe. Anybody that's a farm kid knows that, Right? You know, a lot of city stickers, it's a hard road to hoe. Well, only a city person would hoe on the road, amen? <laughs> I get a kick out of that one. But anyway, uh, I digress. See, the seed that was sown along the side of the road is where the dirt's packed down. And the fact of the matter is, technically that seed never really had a good chance. I mean, even though he was hoping to hit a good spot. Because the Lord's always, you know, even, did you know God loves people that you don't like? You know what I'm saying? Isn't that, doesn't that make you mad? God wants to save somebody that's mean to you. Just ain't right. Somebody's been mean to your kids, God even wants to save. Hard to believe, isn't it, that he loves everybody. So even those hard-hearted people, he's sowing the seed out there, trying to give them a chance. This passage here found in verse 4 of Matthew 13 and then also verse 19 is where we get the explanation. It talks about how the ground was hard. Now, if you, if you sow seed, now I've tried, you know, back when we built the church and worked on the yard and everything, I sowed a lot of grass seed trying to fix problems constantly. I tried everything. Finally, some of it started to work. But, you know, you throw the seed out there and you leave it on top. 
And if you don't get it buried a little bit, it really doesn't have a great chance <clears throat> because birds will come and steal it. And that's what this is talking about here in the parable of the soil conditions of somebody that has a hardened heart. Because as, as God is sowing that word into that hardened heart on that hardened ground, the seed can't really get down in the dirt to be protected so it can start to grow and start to find root. What happens is the enemy comes and steals it. And the enemy we know it talks about in verse 19 is talking about the devil. The devil will try to steal the word out of your heart. And see, that's why right when you leave this place or on the way to this place, you probably got, you could have gotten a fight with somebody or an argument with one of the kids or with your spouse. Hey, them things happen, right? And what it does, it puts your heart in a bad position so it can't receive. See, that's a trick of the enemy. That's why me and my wife take separate cars, man. I don't... I don't get... <laughs> I don't give the enemy a chance. You know, I've heard a husband sitting out in the driveway honking at their wives. Let's go, let's go. You know, getting both of them out of the spirit before they come to receive the word of God. Now, the reason why we, ta- we take separate cars is I'm here fairly early on Sundays. I come in early. But anyway, it is, that is part of it. So the reason why some people have a hardened heart we're just going to cover a couple of these, and maybe this, if this is touching you, there's hope because there's healing. Because some people who have a hardened heart where that seed can't go in are just mad at God, and they won't give God a chance. And there's a few reasons why that happens. We're just going to look at a couple. The church has hurt them. You know, we, churches make mistakes. People make mistakes, don't we? You know? And to think that a church is perfect is really setting yourself up for failure. Because churches are filled with people. And people make mistakes. You know, pastors make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. So everybody's been wronged. I've had a bad meal at a restaurant, but a lot of times I'll give them another shot. You know what I'm saying? So you got to, you know, just move on. You know, maybe... Uh, maybe it didn't happen at a church, but there's a Christian. I remember somebody, you know, when I was growing up, go to church on Sunday, stab you in the back on Monday. Have you ever heard that one? You know, that's something that, uh, you know, I heard, you know, as a young child. You know, those who, you know, talked about God but never really lived it. You know, also what happens sometimes is the fact that life just is mean. You know, maybe a disease or maybe some, you know, maybe you lost a loved one, a car accident. You know, life has, has thrown a terrible curve at you. And you're hurt. And there's no one to blame, so you blame God. That's all part of it. That's all part of what happens. And see, that's what causes that hardened heart to not receive the, the, the forgiveness. You can go up to a, a person that has a hardened heart that's mad at God and say, God loves you. And man, it's just like you spit in their face. They get so mad at you. They curse God, and they might even curse you. Because they're hurt. But if we're part of the, the solution, and not part of the, and, and not part of the problem, we forgive, right? We walk in love. We keep praying for them. You know, praying that God will break up that fallow ground, Right? That ground that, that needs to be tilled up again and reclaimed. 
You know, some things, if you let it overgrow with weeds, you know, weeds grow faster than what you want, right? Than what the corn. The weeds will outgrow the corn if you let it. But you've got to tend it. You've got to keep pulling those weeds out. As we close, I just want to challenge us today. You know, do we have ears to hear? And has our heart become dull? You know, we need to, we need to get excited about God's Word and whatever that means to you. You know, what does that mean to you? See, I believe that we need to be expecting. As I said, God's work, Word has a power on it that when it finds our heart and a good spot, some good dirt, it's going to start to do things. And that only happens when we desire to see God start to move in our life. And if, if you can't do anything else in your life, maybe you're not there yet, just ask God to give you a new heart. A heart that'll take in the seed. Amen? Let's pray.